Okay, what a blessing. Appreciate that. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51, and we'll pray in just a moment. Uh, but greetings to Pastor Helana, Azariah, Vicky, Malachi, Jaden. Good to have you with us, even though you're not with us. But uh, we know that you're with us in spirit. And you'll soon be with us in person and we appreciate that. We appreciate the fact that the Lord has worked that out for us and for you to be in quarantine at this time and, and to be with us soon and we appreciate that. And uh, we look forward to that day. But uh, Isaiah 51, this morning we're going to look at, uh, at this passage and, and I know some of you might be sort of looking at it thinking, what is he going to preach about out of this? I'll bet he's going to talk about wool because that's mentioned there in verse 8. Actually, I'm not. How's he going to get sheep out of this? Well, I'm not. So, but we'll see what the Lord has for us, won't we? But uh, let's pray, shall we? Think about somebody who's sick. I'm going to mention a couple this morning that are sick. Uh, one man in hospital, Michael Kerr and Glenda Chander. But you think of somebody else, okay? that is sick that you know of and needs just our prayers and uh, thankful for those that are recovering from different ailments. But let's pray, shall we, together. Heavenly Father, we just rejoice at being able to be together in church this morning and being able to sing these great songs of praise. And Lord, as the uh, uh, song that was just sung, we know that you live. You live within our hearts. We thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to reside within us. We thank you for our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, who died for us. We thank you for God, our Father, who's in heaven, been in heaven forever, will be in heaven forever, and uh, that we can be thankful for that. So, Lord, we just commit ourselves to you this morning. We think of Glenda Chandler, Lord, as she's not been well, got some health issues and we just commit her to you this morning. Think of Michael Kerr in hospital, pray for him and for his family, we just commit them to you. Lord, others that are ill amongst us or struggling with different ailments, we just commit them to you. Lord, help us each one, whatever state we're in, to rejoice in you. Rejoice in the Lord, always. Father, we thank you 
Guide us as we look into this passage now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but uh, when I first got saved, um, I, I devoured the Bible. I wanted to read it, but it didn't mean to say I understood it. And, uh, you know, it's easy. Uh, before I got saved, I didn't have any great desire to read the Bible. I'd tried and, you know, I'd sort of looked at picture Bibles a little bit as a child and, and I remember receiving a good news for modern man, which I wouldn't encourage anybody to read, right, uh, by the way, but I can remember picking that up because, you know, the, all the saying at the time was, you know, you'll understand it because it's in modern day English, modern day vernacular. Well, I didn't understand it and I just put it aside. But when I got saved, understanding came and God gave me a hunger for his word. But I still didn't understand a lot of it. I can remember reading Genesis and cruising through Genesis and getting to Exodus and Exodus was pretty, you know, pretty good. It's sort of a storyline. But when you get to Leviticus, oh man, was that bogged down time. Numbers, not much better. Deuteronomy, well, starting to lighten up a little bit. You sort of realise that it's the children of Israel being prepared to go into the promised land. But uh, then you hit the prophets and man, oh man, it's just a blur, isn't it? I don't know about you, but that's what it was to me. And brethren, it still is. It still is. Been saved for 40 years. Are you like me or you, you're brilliant? You're, you know, you're just all brilliant and you can figure it all. You know it all. You've got the whole picture, haven't you? And you just know the lot, you know? No? Well, I, I think you're a lot like me. <laughs> and you get to the, the prophets and, and you read it and you think, who's he talking about? Is he talking about Israel? Well, predominantly the prophets were speaking to Israel, weren't they? But there's a lot of stuff that you and I can get principles from, isn't there? And it's all, and of course, it's the, the New Testament. Okay, we get to the New Testament, and yes, we can, we can generally understand that. But brethren, without the Old Testament, the New Testament wouldn't really make sense. The, New Te- the Old Testament is the foundation for the new. And, uh, and it's very necessary but I know it's not easy to understand. It's not easy to unravel it. And you look at Isaiah 51 and the eight verses that uh, uh, Brother read for us this morning. Appreciate that, uh, Brother Matthew. But uh, you, you read that and you think, it's a jumble, isn't it? It's a struggle. God, he speaks there about comfort for Zion, but then he speaks about fear. Uh, you know, he speaks about righteousness and salvation a lot, three times, and we're going to come back to that in a moment. And that's where I want to sort of say, you can get principles, you can get solid evidences, you can get solid things to hang on to. Appreciate the choir this morning singing. When this earth will crumble, when this earth will shatter and fall away, the Bible stands. The Bible stands, you know. And, and this speaks about, a passage spoke, spoke about the fact that the earth will vanish away in verse 6 and the heavens like smoke and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And also that 
you know, they that dwell therein shall die in like manner in the middle of verse 6. You know, you and I just, we, we flourish, but then we die, don't we? You know, our bodies get old and we start to shrink and, and uh, you know, a day comes to die. It's just, it's life. It's how it is. But you look at it and as I say, you, you get confused. What is he talking about? And it sort of seems to change all the time. And you'll find, you know, and, and what I want to do, what, I, what I've got this morning, to, I just want to encourage you this morning to just read your Bible, whether you understand it or not. Just read it. Just read it. I can remember years ago we were in Adelaide and uh, Rhonda and I, and not long married, and, and uh, one of our pastors there at the time, we went to his home just with a group of young adults, I think, and, uh, and I looked up to this man and, uh, and, and, and thought a lot of him, but I can remember him sitting in a lounge chair one day just talking to us as young adults and saying, just read your Bible, just read it. He said, just get in an armchair and just, just relax in it and just open your Bible with a cup of coffee if you want in your hand, but just open it and feed on it. Get into it. And I'll never forget the vision of him just sitting there, just encouraging us to just read it, whether you understand it or not. You know, a good prayer to pray at the beginning of each time that you open your Bible is, Lord, whether I understand it or not, help me just to read it. And Lord, might you give me some understanding along the way? And he will. He will. It may not happen immediately, but I tell you what, as time goes on, it builds. It builds. And, you know, I've been saved now for 40-something years. I can't work it out even, but 40-something years. And I'm beginning, you know, as I read through the, the prophets, I'm beginning to see more and more. But it's not just jumped out at once, you know doesn't do that. But the understanding begins to come as you just study it. It's not easy for me, you know. They, they keep quoting the verse, study to show thyself approved and a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. I don't like study. Are you like me? I don't like study. I'll be honest with you. But I do like just sitting and reading. And just sitting and reading and just going over and over, it begins to make sense, you know. It begins to come out. God illuminates things slowly to us and it's good. And I want to show you this morning that just reading over this passage, I've read over it probably, I don't know, 20, 30, 50 times this last week and, and I began to see some patterns or begin to see some emphasis and the word hearken comes out to us three times. Hearken to me in verse 1. And I know he's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to Israel through the prophet Isaiah about 700 years prior to Christ was when this was written. And so it was just before they went into captivity. 
They hadn't, you know, Judah hadn't gone into captivity. Israel was already gone. The top 10 northern tribes had already been taken away by the Assyrians. And so that already dispersed. But Judah was still in, you know, living in Judah and Jerusalem. Judah and the Benjamites were still there. And it was still probably another nearly 100 years before they would begin to be taken to Babylon. So he's speaking to Israel, Judah, sorry, still in the land, okay? That's sort of the picture, that's where we're at. And he says, hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness. So there were some there that followed after righteousness. There were some within Judah that still, that knew the Lord. And he's speaking to them, he's saying, hearken to me, or listen. Hearken means just listen, listen up, listen up. And if you read through, you'll see hearken comes out two more times. Obvious, Brother Robin. Well, yeah, it took me a long time to see it, though. Verse 4, hearken unto me, my people. So he speaks again, he speaks to my people. Give ear unto me. And then in verse 7, hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness. There's a pattern. There's an emphasis. Listen up. Think about Okay, that's easy. I know you've established that, Brother Robin. Move on. Well, the next thing that comes out is righteousness and salvation. Like I said, they were in the land still, but they were going to go into captivity. You think, how can that sort of make sense when he speaks about comfort? You know, in verse 3, he says, For the Lord shall comfort Zion. Well, we're in Zion. Comfort us now, you know. But he's saying it's sort of a future event. The Lord will comfort Zion. How does this make sense then? Well, you know, the prophets had a short view and a long view. And they jumbled it together. And that's why it's hard to understand. Is he speaking about right now or is he speaking about later? Well, he could be speaking about both. Could have a near application, could have a far application, and often that's the case. So, you know, you, you hey, well, you, you know, talks about comfort, but then you, you mention the fact that they're going to go into captivity. Yep, they're going to go into captivity in about 100 years' time. And then in verse 11, have a look. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return. So you've got to go away to return, don't you? I can remember when I, we, I first got saved, that was... That verse, verse 11, was one of the songs we used to sing. It was as a chorus. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return. Come with singing unto Zion. And you, you sing that whole, whole, whole verse. Another verse, another song that I used to sing when I first got saved or the group that I was in at the time was uh, uh, about Father Abraham. And, you know, back in verse 2 it says, Look unto Abraham your father. And we used to sing, uh, Father Abraham had many sons. Now, so many of you would have sung that too. It's just a, a silly ditty, really. It just goes round and round. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And you sing that as a round, and, and you, you can make a lot of actions with it. And, uh, and uh, Father Abraham had many sons, right arm. Left arm, right leg, left leg, turn around, sit down, you know. 
and you sing it round and round, just sort of doing those actions. But I tell you what, it wasn't bad in the sense that it, it settled into my mind that I'm a son of Abraham. Hang on, hang on. Abraham was the father of Israel. Your brethren, he's the father of us too. The father of faith. The father of, you know, Israel who brought forth the Lord Jesus. God gave a promise to Abraham back in chapter 12 of Genesis that through him would all nations of the earth be blessed. That's you and me too. All nations of the earth would be blessed. Blessed through Abraham who through Isaac, down through, through David, through, through uh, Joseph and Mary came forth the Lord Jesus. We've been blessed through Father Abraham. So I'm glad that I can call Abraham my father. And so you sort of see that principle come out for us uh, in this passage. It became, it comes a blessing to us. So what did I say at the beginning? I want to encourage you, just read your Bible. Just read it. Uh, talking to somebody just a few weeks ago and they sort of admitted to me how much of a struggle it was to read the Bible. I know I should read it more. Uh, who was that? Jenna. Jenna here this morning. Jenna's probably listening online. Jenna, good to see you. And she made the comment, I know I should read the Bible more, but I struggle. I said, you're not alone. You're not alone. But just read it. Just be faithful. Just read it. Whether you read it in the morning, whether you read it at midday, whether you read it at night, whether you read it just to help you get to sleep, just read it. Just read it. Don't be afraid if you don't understand it. Just read it. Just read it. And the other thing that I want to particularly bring out this morning is that salvation is mentioned here in these passages three times. Salvation and righteousness. Have a look with me. In uh, verse uh, 5, verse 5, righteousness and salvation are mentioned there. My righteousness is near. My salvation is gone forth. So righteousness is near, salvation is gone forth. Drop down to the end of verse 6. But my salvation shall be forever forever and my righteousness shall not be abolished isn't that good grasp a hold of that if we can this morning you know here he's speaking to Israel he's seeking to comfort them but he's also knowing that they're going to go into captivity soon 70 years of hardship hardship in, under Babylon's rule. Not a pretty time. Many people would be lost. Jerusalem would be razed to the ground. Then it would be rebuilt again. But in that looking forward, you know, 100, 170 years looking forward, God says to them, he says, but my salvation is forever. You can still be saved in Babylon. You can still know my righteousness in Babylon. That doesn't go away. Just like we sat the choir saying, the Bible stands. Though the earth shall shatter and crumble, 
Brethren, their earth shattered and crumbled. Jerusalem crumbled. Their lives were shattered as they were taken into captivity. One thing after another. Daniel and all his friends that were taken into captivity. Daniel made a eunuch. I mean, you talk about shattering your life. Not pretty time. And yet out of it, great things can come. Daniel never lost sight of the fact that his salvation was in God. And even though he became a eunuch, he never, you know, he was not belittled in God's eyes, was he? Beloved, God called him, greatly beloved. You know, Daniel was a special man. You and I, in our thinking, in our sort of back of our mind, if a man sort of lost his manhood, well, he's no longer a man. Not in God's eyes. He's a great man, greatly beloved. Why? Because he trusted in the Lord. And he, and he worshipped the Lord no matter what. He worshipped the Lord even though when a decree went forth that you couldn't pray to anybody but the, you know, the king. And uh, then they threw him in the lion's den. Daniel trusted the Lord right through that. So, but my salvation, the end of verse 6, shall be forever and my righteousness shall not be abolished. No matter what's going to come upon you, Israel and the, or Judah, there's going to be some awful stuff come upon you, but, but my salvation shall be forever and my righteousness shall not be abolished. It continues on. And then at the end of verse 8, uh, salvation and righteousness are mentioned again. So three times, three times for hearken, Three times righteousness and salvation are mentioned at the end of verse 8. But my righteousness shall be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. What a picture we have here. You know, Father Abraham. Father Abraham. Abraham's mentioned in verse 2. We'll come back to him in a minute. But right from Abraham, from generation to generation. Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to, well, how many of his sons got saved? We don't know, you know. Many of them lived some wicked lives, didn't they? Sold their brother Joseph into slavery. Joseph, we know, worshipped the Lord sincerely and in truth. Judah got to know the Lord. From Judah came the Lord Jesus. But you see the, the transition going on? Oh, brethren, that can encourage us. Salvation from generation to generation. You know, you, you look at your kids perhaps now and you despair and you think they're going astray and perhaps they are, but don't give up on praying for them because God's salvation goes from generation to generation. Even if you don't see them get right with God and come back to him, Perhaps after you die, they will. Just be faithful to pray for them and to love them. Love them no matter what they do. Don't love their sin, but love them. Love them. Love your kids. No matter where they get to. No matter what they get into. No matter what messes they create. Still love them. Because God does. Oh, 
So salvation and righteousness are here in this passage. What a blessing for us to just meditate on that. My salvation from generation to generation. All right, let's go back a little bit and just sort of picking up, pick up back at the beginning again and just let's think about Abraham for a minute. Let's think about Abraham and, uh, and Sarah. You know, he says, hearken to me, listen to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock whence ye are hewn. And this is, this is an interesting picture, you know, look unto the rock whence ye are hewn and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. There's, there's a lot of way you can think about that and, and uh, you know, you might have some thoughts in your mind. I've got some thoughts in my mind, but, uh, you know, he's, he's principally saying, well, well, look, look unto Abraham your father in verse 2, look unto Sarah that bare you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. As I said, Abraham was the father of faith and yet he wasn't the first man of faith, was he? You know, Abel demonstrated faith. I think Adam and Eve demonstrated faith too in uh, the early chapters of Genesis. And Job, Job, they tell us, was lived around the time of Abraham and, and uh, so Job was a man of faith. But Abraham is, is credited uh, to us as the man of faith, you know, the father of faith, and, and that's okay. And so he says, you know, look to him, look to him, look to the pit that you've been dug out of and the rock that you've been hewn from. And so you can, we could think about Abraham as a rock, someone solid, but he's not a rock like the Lord Jesus, is he? Because he's just a man. You know, the Lord Jesus is spoken of as our rock, capital R, rock. Abraham's Little R, rock. Rock, yes, but little R, rock, because Abraham died. The crux of it is he was a sinner, just like you and me. And he needed to be saved by faith, just like you and me. Abraham made mistakes, just like you and me. But he responded, and that's the great thing. You know, when God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, he called them out of an idolatrous society. He called him and said, come away, come away from your family, come away from where you've known and, and I'm going to show you where to go and I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham obeyed. And in chapter 15 of Genesis, it says that, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So belief, faith is so important for us. We must believe what God says. Believe that he is. Believe the words that he spoke. Believe the fact that he gave his son. Believe the words of the Lord Jesus when he says you must be born again. Believe on me. Believe that I died on the cross for you. If we confess with our mouth, the Lord Jesus, Romans says, and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Believe. We must believe. So we can look to Abraham because he, was, he began. He believed. He left Ur of the Chaldees. And I like to think about, you know, Ur of the Chaldees was the pit that Abraham was pulled out of, you know. 
the pit of sin. But you can think about pit in a different way, can't you? You can think about a mine, you can think about a quarry, a place where you cut rock out of, and it could be granite, could be, could be whatever. You cut something out of, and it's not pretty when you cut it out. You know, the miners dig into the earth, and, and it's, the process is dirty. It's dirty place. Mines are not pretty, you know, uh, delightful joints to go to, are they? I can remember going years ago up to uh, Rhonda and I set out. We were not long married. Our, our first daughter, Rachel, was only a baby. And uh, we drove up through the centre of Australia. We left uh, Victoria, Bendigo and Victoria, and bought a silly little high ace van and uh, sort of tre- tremble about it now, thinking about it. Bought this old van that had done the trip before. It had done the Gibb River Road and I said to somebody, oh, we bought this van and it's been on the Gibb River Road. And he said, and you bought it? <laughs> uh, I said, yeah. <laughs> well, we had trouble with that old van. But it took us up there and got us back. And But anyway, we got to Mud Tank. Mud Tank, just a place north of Alice Springs. And, and I knew that one of my uncles was up there and he was a... He was a gemstone nut and at the time he was at a place called Mud Tank and we found him, him and his wife and they were camped there for a few days and they were digging in the ground around this place called Mud Tank for zircons, zircons and he was obsessed with chasing zircons and topaz I think at the time. And, uh, you know, he'd go out in the morning early and dig up shovelfuls and bucketfuls of this just dirt, dirt and mud and rock and then sieve it through looking, hoping for the big one, you know, the big zircon. Zircons are, as you probably know, fake diamonds are made out of zircons. Zircons are, yeah, the poor man's diamonds. But anyway, uh, un- my uncle Ned was, was obsessed with chasing for the big one. We spent a couple of days with them there and, and the rocks and dirty stuff, you know, digging up dirt and uh, sieving through the rocks and the dirt trying to find the zircons in that case. And The next day we went drove a few kilometres to another place and, and there we were fit fosicking for uh, topaz. And we found a few little bits of topaz, sort of the size of my thumbnail, little thumbnail. And he was so excited about that. But I sort of think about Abraham, you know. He was hewn out, the picture of being hewn out or the hole that he was digged out of. I sort of think about perhaps that picture's Ur, you know, dug out of a place that was not pretty, dirty idolatrous nation. He was dug out of it and God made of him a new nation, a new man. Picture of us, you know, being dug out of the the pit that we were in, the pit of sin. Dug out with all our dirt and all our stuff. God wants to make us a new creature in Christ. What a blessing. What a great thing. Then I think, you know, about... uh, Abraham and Sarah, Sarah that bear you, it says, you know. When they were called out of Ur of the Chaldees and God made them a promise that he would make of them a great nation, God tested them. I want us to think about that for a moment. 
God tested them for 25 years before he gave them that son. It got to a point in the middle of that time where Abraham was sort of saying, well, God, you know, you said you'd give us a son, but why hasn't it happened? When's it going to happen? And Sarah came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I've been thinking. God promised us a son, but it seems, Abraham, that I'm too old now. I can't have a son anymore. I've been thinking. I've got a maid called Hagar. How about you go to her and we'll have a son from her. Maybe that's how God's intended it all along. And Well, Abraham listened and Abraham went to Hagar and Hagar conceived and guess what happened? Immediately Hagar conceived, she despised Sarah and Sarah despised her and arguments broke out. Sarah went to Abraham and said, you know, this was a dinky dive domestic. Abraham, my fault be on you. You got us into this mess. You get us out of it. You know, I think this is put here for us to realise, hang on, look back, look to Abraham your father, look to Sarah that bear you, but realise they were sinners just like you are. And even after they were saved, even after they had professed faith, even after they had demonstrated their faith and God had imputed his righteousness to them, yet they still sinned. Yet they still did things wrong. Abraham was a liar. Well, a half liar. Twice he demonstrated that, didn't he? Once when they went down to Egypt, once when they went to the Philistines and, they, and, he, and he lied. Well, half lied. You know, isn't a half lie only half a lie, not full lie? I think God looks at us the same. Look to the rock whence ye are hewn. Look to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Oh, Abraham, he wasn't perfect. And I think he, you know, Isaiah was trying to tell the Jews of his day and the Jews got to a position in their mind where they thought, we're the only ones, you know, that God really cares about. He doesn't care about anybody else. He just cares about us, the Jews. And look how good we are. Look how perfect we are. Look at how righteous we are. And Isaiah says, hang on, just, just look at the pit that you've been dug from. Abraham wasn't all righteous. His righteousness came from God. It wasn't from his abilities. It wasn't from his good living. Although I think, you know, Abraham was a good living man. But uh, he made mistakes. Sarah made mistakes. Despite that. God used them. Despite all that, God made of them a great nation. Oh, brethren, you and I can be encouraged by that, can't we? You and I can be sort of strengthened in that. 
despite my mistakes from yesterday, despite my mistakes of this last week, despite the sins that I still commit, God can still use me. He used Abraham. What a blessing. What an encouragement to us. Look to the pit whence you dig. Look to the, to the, uh, the rock whence you're hewn. Look under, look under Abraham and Sarah. Realise they, they, they did some good, they also did some bad, but God made them righteous. God made them righteous. God saved them. God set them on a path that was a blessing to all the world, not just the Jews. All right, salvation's gone forth. Righteousness is near. Last thing I want to sort of talk about is to just be faithful. Just be faithful in walking with God and, and faithful in your witness. We're sort of going to skip the second section of hearken to me and go to the last section. Just spend a couple of minutes here and then we'll be done. But verse 7. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. I want us to think about this for a minute, this verse, and think, well, what does that mean? Well, brethren, in Isaiah's day, they were to be a witness. The Jews were to be a witness to each other, but also to the whole world. They, they forgot that. You know, they forgot their witness to the world and they sort of clung to themselves. And a bit like we often do, you know, in our churches, we sort of we create a gathering together and we cling together. We need to do that, but we also need to have an outward look and look to the lost and look to see them saved. Look to be a witness to them. Many times they don't want us to be a witness to them. They didn't then. They didn't in Isaiah's day. But he encourages them. He says, look, you know the Lord. You know that, you know, in your heart is my law. The Bible is in our hearts and we want to obey it. It was in the same in their days. And you and I want to obey it. And we want to be a witness to others. But it's hard. You try to be a witness to somebody and they, they reject it. You try to give somebody a tract and they don't want it. In fact, they screw it up in front of you. In fact, they throw it straight in the bin. Or they hand it back to you and they say, mate, I'm not religious. I don't want it. I don't want your religion. And they may even get worse than that and revile and speak awful things to you. I can remember going once in Ravenshoe when we were up on the table land and we had done a letter or a post box, a post office dis distribution of five different tracts over five weeks. And uh, so we knew that the tracts had gone out around Ravenshoe for five weeks and then Brother Phil Highland, who's now the pastor up at Sunshine, and I started knocking on doors and going around and saying, you know, did you receive our, our, our messages? And 99 doors out of 100 just shut in our face. 
We came to one fella in the middle of the street and wanted, started to talk to him. Well, he just blew up. He just started to sprout stuff out. I want nothing to do with your God and nothing to do. A big bearded fella and just wild man. And I don't want to talk about your God. And I said, well, you want to talk about the devil then? Well, he got madder. <laughs> we just, I just sort of walked away. But it's not easy, is it? You know, it's, it's not fun to be sort of reviled at. Brethren, I want us to sort of just look here. Isaiah says, fear ye not, fear ye not the reproach of men. Neither be ye afraid of their revilings. Don't be afraid of it. Just be faithful to witness. Just be faithful. Just keep doing it. So the Lord wants their faithfulness. He doesn't, he doesn't promise us great results from it. He doesn't promise us that there'll be a heap of people get saved. Occasionally there is and occasionally some come and occasionally someone responds. But he doesn't promise there'll be heaps. He just says be faithful. Just says do it. Just says go. And then he gives us an illustration in verse 8 and he gives us a reason for us not to be afraid. Don't be afraid of their revilings. You say, well, I just am. I am. I don't want to go witnessing. I don't want to go door knocking. And frankly, I don't want to go door knocking either. I go letterboxing now and just put a thing in the letterbox and, you know, move on. Occasionally you run into somebody and you can give it to them personally. And like I said, 99 out of 100, they just, they don't want it. They don't want it. But he says, look, he says, the reason I want you to, I want you to do it is because, look in verse 8. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment. He says, I want you to think about their end. I want you to think about what is, their, what is the result for them. What is the end deal? What is the ultimate and it'll give you a heart of compassion, I think is what he's saying, like I have for them. Because I don't want them to go to bed. I don't want them to be eaten up like a garment. You know, any of you seen, you've seen silverfish and the damage they do in a closet. You know, we put mothballs in our closet or whatever to keep them out, don't we? You know, you go to pick up a garment that you want to wear and it's just riddled through with holes from silverfish or something else and, and the worm he says shall eat them like wool but my righteousness shall be forever and my salvation from generation to generation he says I want you to think about their lot I want you to have compassion for them just like I had compassion upon you if you hadn't got saved if Abraham hadn't believed on God and God imputed his righteousness to him, this would have been Abraham's lot too. You see, in Mark chapter 9, it speaks about the, the lot of the unsaved, the fact that uh, they're going to go to a place called hell where the fire is not quenched. 
and the worm. Oh, I'm misquoting it now. The worm shall not die and the fire is not quenched. Something like that. Let me just find it quickly. The end of Mark chapter 9. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And it mentions that three times in Mark chapter 9 if you want to look at it later. Where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. Brethren, hell is not a pretty place. No matter what people say to you, no matter what they say and say, well, I'm on my way to hell, but at least I'll be with my mates there and at least we'll be able to party forever together. You won't party if you're in fire. You won't party if you've got worms up your backside. You won't party if worms are under you and worms are over you like it speaks about in Isaiah chapter 14, I think it is, where he talks about the king of Tyre there and the picture of the devil and, it's, and, and speaking about to Lucifer there and, and he says the worms will be under him and the worms will be over him and you won't want to party in that state. It won't be pretty. He says, so I want you to be a witness. Just be a witness. Even when they revile you, because that's the picture that's coming for them. You don't want that for them, do you? You didn't want that for yourself. That's why you got saved. You realised that you were on your way to hell and you cried out to the Lord Jesus to save you, and he did. Bless God. So now I want you just to simply be a witness to others because you don't want them to go to the same place. When they revile you, fear not. Fear not. I'll comfort you. He speaks about comfort in that passage. I'll comfort you. You'll be comforted forever. You'll be in my presence forever. But they won't. They won't. So just be a witness. Just be a witness. Whether it's easy or whether it's hard, just be a witness. It's only a few years that you're going to have to do it. A few years on this earth and then we're going to be gone. Just be a witness. Fear not their revilings. I want you to go with me. One last passage. One last passage. Psalm 73, I think it is. Psalm 73. Psalm 73 and we, and we quit. The psalmist here, I think it's Asaph. Asaph was the psalmist that wrote this and we're not going to read the whole passage because we're out of time but he does start saying truly God is good to Israel even to such as are of a clean heart so such as that are saved such as that know the Lord as their saviour he says but as for me my feet were almost gone I'd slipped I, I, I'd I was envious in verse 3 at the foolish and I saw the prosperity of the wicked and I got envious about it. And I thought, what's the point, God? What's the point in trying to be righteous? What's the point in walking with you? What's the point in salvation if the wicked just get away with everything? He says, I was, I, I'd nearly given up. I was gone. I didn't want to do it anymore. 
But he says, he says down to verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Asaph got a new vision. He began to see all of his friends, all the rich, all those that had prospered, and he began to see the worms underneath them. And he began to see the worms over the top of them. And he began to see the fire all around. And he says, oh God, forgive me. Forgive me. Help me just to walk in righteousness. And remember, your salvation is from generation to generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, just to read it day by day. Help us, Lord, just to remember where we come from and help us, Lord, to not be afraid of the revilings of men and women when we try to be a witness to them. Help us to see where they will go to and where we would have gone to if we hadn't got saved. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Brother Paul.